Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today, and this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a guest speaker, Sister Nita Hodges. She was with us last semester. You can find that episode in our show notes. We will link it there. What we will also link there is the email address, merch at gotoibc.com. If you were at General Conference or didn't make it, but wanted to purchase IBC Yetis, Crewnecks, Sherpas, we want to make that available to you, our listeners. Just email merch at gotoibc.com. We'll make sure to connect you with how you can purchase some of that merch. Right now, Sister Nita Hodges preaching in IBC Chapel. It's a great honor for me to um, bring to this pulpit. I, I love Sister Hodges. She has been a friend to me many times. Uh, my wife introduced us when we first started dating, and I, I just felt like Brother and Sister Hodges were people that I wanted to mirror my life and my ministry after, just, just godly men and women, wonderful statesmen of our faith. And thank you for not just being a friend to my wife and her family, but for accepting me in as well. And there's been many times and one moment just recently during the pandemic, my wife and I were uh, in the quarantine shutdown as the rest of the world was. We're sitting on the back patio and we kind of made it a habit. We just hung out outside as much as possible. And we we're having a little rough day and uh, a lot of transition, a lot of emotions. And uh, my wife said, I'm going to call Sister Hodges. And so we put her on speakerphone and called her from our back patio and, and uh, just began to open up. And immediately Sister Hodges went to prayer. She could have given us great words of wisdom and advice, which she did. She could have given us incredible pastoral counsel, which she did. But what was probably the most profound and impacting is when she began to pray, the presence of the Lord began to move. And we felt encouraged in the Lord. Amen. And so not only is she a great preacher, though she would never want me to say that. And so I won't say that she's a great preacher. But she is a minister that is anointed by God, I believe, has a word for us here at IBC. I want you to make her feel welcome one more time as she comes to this pulpit. Would you open your hearts and your minds to Sister Hodges? We love you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to take just a second and build my nest here. So thrilled to see you, and I'm going to say those words that all of you are longing to hear. You may be seated. I want to, first of all, uh, give some thanks and acknowledgement to wonderful people in my life and express how much I appreciate, appreciate this church and Brother and Sister Carson. I've just lately been able to hear his ministry. It's just wonderfully and very incredible and just blessed bless me in many ways. I want to give honor to Brother and Sister Turner and Brother and Sister Turner. I believe there are two Turner families, at least represented here today. 
And of course, uh, brother and sister Galleon, I've known sister Stephanie, I say, and it may not scientifically be accurate, but I say I've known her since before she was born. And um, we were so thrilled when she and brother Jason Galleon married because we could see that this was a match made in heaven and God brought these two beautiful, talented people together, not only for their wonderful joy and their beautiful family, but for the kingdom of God and what an asset and blessing they have been and will continue to be. I know God has great, even greater things in store for them. I want to express my appreciation to Brother and Sister Marshall. These have been friends of mine uh, for a long, long time, and they have stood by me in heartbreaking situations. We've laughed together. We've cooked together. We've cooked a lot together, haven't we? We've eaten together, we've laughed together, we've worshiped together. And I want to honor this uh, great missionary couple who have given their lives and given their family into the work of God, which is a beautiful thing. And I also want to welcome brother and sister Titus Smith. This is the brother of sister Joanne Marshall. And I don't want to embarrass him, but I want to speak of the glory of God right now. This man was away from God for 40 years. And honestly, though we prayed for him, I'm not sure any of us really had faith that it could happen. But after 40 years, God spoke to his heart, brought him into the kingdom of God. And he said yesterday, and it so touched me, that every time he goes to pray, Practically, the only thing he can do is just give thanks. So let's give them a hand. And then, of course, most of all, we thank the Lord for this uh, privilege of being together. And honestly, during this worship service, I got this feeling of anticipation. I thought, oh, we need to unleash this army, speaking of you. I can't wait to see you go into cities and towns and churches and prisons and places. I can't see you as you go out into the kingdom of God, battering down the doors of hell and tearing down strongholds and praying and seeing revival and victory. I believe it's happening and what a thrill to know. I don't want to be negative, although it may sound negative, but you know we're one generation from disappearing, the apostolic faith. We have dealt in California with older churches, denominal churches, that were left with a, just a handful of people and beautiful property, but they're a handful of old people and their churches are dying, not just in California, but all around the world because somehow they didn't bring their young people in and engage their young people. And really the future of the gospel of the kingdom of God rests in your hands and in your hearts and in your ministries. And it thrills me, you just don't know how it thrills me to see that you are preparing yourselves to go forth to do the work of God. God bless you. I tell you, sometime I'm just overcome with appreciation and love. I just wish we could do a group hug. It might not be the best thing, but in my heart, I'm just giving you all a big hug. Big hug. 
uh, I want to talk to you about the last message. This is Paul's farewell charge to the Ephesian church. And I'm just going to use some selective verses down through the 20th chapter of Acts that have spoken to my heart and I want to share with you today. And when they were come to him, speaking of these Ephesian elders, Paul is speaking then, and he said unto them, Ye know that from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and I, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. Paul is recalling his ministry to these elders. And then he talks to them that he will be leaving for Jerusalem and that the Holy Ghost is witnessing in every city that he bonds and imprisonment and affliction awaits him there. And this is his last address to this group of people. He will never see them again. They will never see him again. But he has so much love and burden for these people that he's wanting to make sure after all the communication, all the preaching and teaching he has done to them, there are some things he wants them to know and hold fast. And I want to talk to you a little bit about bonds and afflictions I hope and pray that none of you go through the things that Apostle Paul had to go through. But the fact of the matter is there will be trials in the ministry. And I don't want to discourage you. I want to prepare you. Because we all have visions and we all have um, a future in our mind of our ministry. Some of you want to teach a Sunday school. Some of you want to be over a music ministry. Some of you want to pastor churches. Some of you want to go into missionary work. Some of you will be evangelists. But you probably have some sort of vision in mind of what the ministry you will go into will be to you. But um, Paul's ministry, probably the greatest ministry we have knowledge of except from Jesus Christ included many, many trials and afflictions and finally martyrdom. And I want to say to you, not to discourage you, but to prepare you. Sometimes the ministry is not always financially prosperous. And sometimes we don't see the big church that we expected to build on the home mission field come to pass the first year or so. And we know that God always supplies our needs but the fact is, sometimes we struggle financially, and we don't like to talk about it because it's depressing and it's sad. But the thing to me that is the most dangerous about that is the danger is if we believe that dollars are God's measure of his love to us, we will be horribly disillusioned. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to know that suffering may come along with your ministry. Some people seem to go right to the top, whatever they do, and others seem to struggle their whole life long. But the thing about it is we must remember that God is in control, and we must remember that he does not judge success the way we judge success. Don't ever forget that. 
Don't ever forget that. We, we can't judge ourselves by ourselves. We can't feel like our, our ministry is not successful because we have not seen the results that we have wanted to see. And if we believe that dollars are God's measure of his love for us, then the problem is that we're going to feel like God doesn't love us. If, if, if we're suffering financially, then we think that God must not love us because other people are amassing money and estates and cars and big churches and all of that. That is a danger. That doesn't mean God's not blessing them all. He's blessing all of us. But we don't know the mind of God. I don't know why Paul had to suffer the way he had to suffer. But if we are in the hands of God, rich or poor, it doesn't matter if we're doing his will. <clears throat> Sometimes we suffer emotionally in the ministry. I had a young preacher say to me long ago, he said, I feel so alone. And the problem with that is when we are suffering emotionally alone and feeling left alone and feeling forgotten, we may, there may be a danger that we can become critical of those around us who haven't seen our need and haven't taken care of that. So that can bring a breach between us and the people around us. We, we don't want to do that. You know what the cure for loneliness is, is to reach out for somebody else. Just write that down. I mean it. And everybody said, amen. All right, and then of course, uh, uh, financially, spiritually, and emotionally, we may have uh, areas in our lives that are not what we planned or hoped for, but don't let it be a stumbling block because sometimes God calls us to suffer or do without to be an example to others. And everyone said amen. amen. <laughs> Nobody wants that place, do we? But when I look back at the story of the Kilgores, they never had anything financially, and yet hundreds and hundreds of people prayed through to the Holy Ghost. They never pastored a prosperous church. But I know my grandmother, my mother told me when my grandmother died, mother went in to clean out their little trailer. They were living in a little RV at the time of their death, this powerful couple who had given all of their lives to the kingdom of God. She said, mother, uh, mother said to me, she said, Nita, mother had just a few little dresses, just a few little cooking utensils, and, and financially and materially, after all of their life of giving to the Lord, there was not much to show financially, but we must always remember that rewards are not being given out here. I can't even imagine what their crowns will look like. It is going to be a glorious day when we all get up there and we see these people that maybe we have never known the, their ministry or their success and see them shouting on the hills of glory. Not, they don't ever will regret that the, the poverty. They won't regret all of that. They'll just be so happy that they were able to accomplish the will of God that those things will be as dust. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Amen. I want to tell a story about the Marshalls. Around 1982, they were in Pasag in the, in the Manila area of the Philippines. And they had uh, labored to build a little storefront church there and built pews and pulpits and worked hard. 
And just right out of the blue, one Sunday, I mean one Saturday, someone came to them and told them that they had to leave this church. They could no longer pastor it. And probably nobody in here knows who those people are except maybe the marshals. And it, it wasn't a UPC person, so just relax about that. But they, they were told they had to leave. And it was a heartbreaking situation. This was Saturday. So they had no place to go to church on Sunday. So Sister Marshall told me that they had church with their family in their home on Sunday. But on Monday, Brother Marshall just went around this little barrio area close to Manila, and he was looking for a place to have service. And he found an empty lean-to that was built on the back of a home. He went to the homeowners and asked if they would allow them to have service in this little lean-to in the back of their house, and they agreed to it. So the next Sunday, the marshals come, and I said, well, did you pass out flyers? Did you knock on doors? What did you do? She said, we just went to that lean-to and started singing, and people started coming, and after a while, a little crowd gathered, and they continued services in this little lean-to for nine months to a year. They couldn't remember exactly. And uh, the, the Holy Ghost was poured out, but they were still heartbroken after having to leave the church that they thought they were going to continue to pastor. Close to 40 years later, Sister Stephanie Gallion is in the Philippines, and a, a preacher comes up to her and says, oh, Sister Stephanie, I am, and gave his name. And of course, she didn't know who he was. And he said, oh, you remember in the little barrio where your folks had service for a few months, I got the Holy Ghost, and now I'm pastoring a church. Many young men got the Holy Ghost in that time, and they're pastoring churches. You see, we don't always see what is happening in our ministry. And then my son was telling me a story, and, um, and I don't have the names, and I hope I get the details right. And if I don't, forgive me, but I'm trying to be honest about this story. A pastor and his church had decided they were really in need of revival. So the church and the elders and the pastor got together. They raised money. They started promotion. He called a well-known evangelist that was having great revivals. And I don't remember his name either. Thank the Lord. I don't want to mess up names here. And in, they called this evangelist in to do this revival. And for two weeks, they prayed and fasted. And the evangelist poured out his heart and ministry into that. They were all built up for this great successful revival for where many, many people would get the Holy Ghost. It would be a breakthrough for that church, and it didn't happen. Only one young boy got the Holy Ghost during that revival, and they all left feeling defeated and not knowing why, because they had put forth their best efforts. A few years later, the evangelist was at a conference a young man walked up to him and shook his hand and said, are you brother so-and-so? And he said, yes, I am. He said, do you remember a revival you preached in a certain town? And the evangelist said, yes, I do. And the young man said, I'm glad to meet you. I got the Holy Ghost in that revival. I'm J.T. Pugh.
Acts 1, uh, Acts 20 and 24 said, Paul is writing still, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And Paul is facing death. He's facing a Roman imprisonment. He's saying goodbye to these people he loves dearly. But he wants to finish his course with joy. I think, how is this possible? Surely, Paul, surely your heart is crushed. Surely knowing that you're dying and that the, the church of God is going to be heartbroken, losing this great apostle that they revere. But he wants to finish his ministry with joy. He doesn't want to finish his ministry with heartbreak and sorrow and grief and disappointment. But he wanted to finish his ministry with joy and with the ministry which the Lord had given him. Him. He wants his ministry to endure till the day of his death. And he did that. He wrote those letters from prison, extending his ministry beyond the grave, extending his ministry hundreds of years, extending his ministry thousands of years. And we are still feasting on the ministry of the Apostle Paul because he wanted to finish his ministry with joy and he wanted to finish in the ministry. Hallelujah. This was a God-given ministry, precious and valuable, valuable. And the purpose of it was to testify. He said, I want to, uh, to uh, give what I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's a space of time. God withholds judgment and judgment for the salvation of mankind. And he wants to finish his ministry preaching the grace of God. What a fabulous, wonderful thing. And we're all still being inspired by this great ministry, aren't we? Years and years afterwards. Hallelujah. Thank God. Now he's saying goodbye. He would not see them again. And he's sharing for the last time his burden and love for the gospel. These are his last words for this church. And in Acts 20, 27, it says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. This chapter reveals Paul's love for Jesus Christ and for his church. He wants to give them everything he has, every last drop of knowledge. Every last bit of revelation, every last bit of anointing that God has given to him, he wants to imbue them with his ministry. It is so beautiful. It touches my heart. He kept back nothing that was profitable to them. This outpouring, this dying man, this man on his way to prison is giving and giving and giving and giving. It just sometimes it overwhelms me. All preachers have preferences of subjects and biblical pat, uh, pat, passages, but remember that the Bible is the source. 
It's the source of our ministry. It's the source of our walk with God. It's the source of our understanding of God. It's a source of understanding the law and the rules of God. It's the source of understanding about prayer and all of the good works the Bible is. And when we hide the Bible in our heart, then that time comes that we're trying to find something to say God will quicken to us as we read his word the scripture comes alive and that is a beautiful beautiful thing sometimes it's just for me or it's just for you but sometimes God will put something in your heart for congregation or for family or for classmate and it all comes from the source of the word and that's the reason we hide it in our hearts It always surprises me to read wonderful, inspirational scriptures which I have never heard preached. And I'll just throw this out to you, and you can. this will be your homework assignment. Uh, create a sermon on the bundle of life. Okay, moving on. The Bible is a limitless source of treasure, and the word comes alive to us when we hear it, when we read it, when we speak it, when we hide it in our life, it takes root and grows. And then in Acts 20, going on, Paul said, 2028, 20, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood, to feed the church of God. Uh, cooking for my family and friends is my love language. My family say I push food the way some drug dealers push drugs. <laughs> I love to feed my family. It's a wonderful time to sit down to dinner with them and, and I like it better when the food's good. It doesn't happen every time, but it's a wonderful thing. But if it can be the joy and the love of your life to feed the flock of God, you will never fail in the ministry. You remember Jesus was talking to Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Then what are you supposed to do? Feed my sheep. Second time he asked him, do you love me? If you love me, Peter, here's what I want you to do. Feed my sheep. Three times he asked him that because it's important that the flock of God be fed. We have to be nourished. We have to be fed with the word. We have to be taught. We can't live for God. We can't walk with God. We can't know God until we have the word in our heart. And God has given this great treasure and this great charge to you. What a wonderful thing that God is asking you to do to feed the flock of God, his precious children. If you want to show me you love me, you just do something good for my kids. And that's exactly the way the Lord feels about his church. If you want to show you love him, then feed his flock. Our love for Jesus Christ directly affects our love for his children. And this is a, this is, um, a noteworthy uh, announcement. People can be unlovable. You didn't know that, being here surrounded with Holy Ghost people. Some people are hard to love. 
It's the truth. They, <laughs> and everybody said amen. <laughs> People can be hateful. They can be conniving. They can be sinful in any other derogatory adjective we can think of. But our response to all of that hatefulness is what? To love. And the thing I want us all to remember today is that kind of love can only be created and manifested by Jesus Christ. God is love. The source of love is God. The ability to show that love is anointing, which comes from God. So we have to love the unlovely. And then some people are easy to love. Thank the Lord. And most, I'm sure, everybody in this room qualifies for that designation. Easy to love. And everybody said, I'm easy to love. Oh, I, I don't know. May have something to have to work on here. <laughs> we should be easy to love. We, we shouldn't put stumbling blocks in people's way, but the fact is some are hard to love and some are easy to love. And sometimes it's easy to love the lost and sometimes we get so frustrated with the sinful lives we see around them that it's hard to love. And um, I shouldn't tell this, but I will. When Brother Titus was a young man, he was in and out of the altar. And every time he came, he really got a touch from the Lord. And it was a real touch. And I, I really believe that God saved him after all that time because deep in his heart, he had a love for God and a love for the things of God. But my husband, Brother Bean, was a pastor at that time. But we have to remember that love, the kind of love that's needed in world, in our world, in our churches, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhood, is not that love that is a natural love, and we all feel that for our family and people, people we love. It's easy to love people we love. But, but the love that is needed in this time has to come from God. And the only way we can manifest that love is to be close to God, close enough to him that the love of God can spread into our hearts. You know, the scripture says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And sometimes I pray, Lord, shed your love abroad in my heart because sometimes it's hard to love. Sometimes we're so filled with disappointment and fear and anger. What's happening in our families, in our churches, and especially in our nation? We've all been in a period of mourning for a year or so to see what's happening in our nation. And I'm telling you, rants on Facebook and Instagram and all of that won't fix anything. 
the same answer we have to love. We have to love the lost. We have to love the unlovely. We have to love those destructive people. We have to love the drug addict. We have to love the prostitute. We have to love the alcoholic. We have to love the troublesome saint that keeps us in the office day after day. We have to love, oh Lord, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love this writing of Paul, Acts 20, 35. I have showed you all things that so laboring you ought to support the weak. I just want to quickly remind you that probably every one of you have a calling on your life. God has a plan for your life. And when God calls you, and wants you to do his will. There may be extra requirements he puts on you for you to be able to fulfill the calling of God. And if you look around and see the rest of the young people are not spiritual and they're not doing the right thing and they're not dressing right, it's easy to look down our noses at those people. But the fact of the matter is it is a high calling that God is bringing you to. It's a high calling. And so you have to support the weak, those that don't understand, those that haven't been convicted yet, those that haven't learned to pray yet. We can't disdain them. We can't cast them aside. We can't say they're a problem in the youth youth. Uh, uh, ministries, so I wish they'd go somewhere. No, we have to support the weak. And even among us, sometimes we're weak. Sometimes I'm discouraged. Sometimes my life is filled with tears. Sometimes I have health issues. I'm so thankful for the body of Christ and the people that can love me and support me and help me through those times. Hallelujah. Support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now remember, this is Paul's last message to these people, and there are things he wants them to remember, and some of those things are the words that Jesus spoke, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. There is a great danger in materialism. It creates envy and selfishness and pride, almost probably you could say every evil work. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The treasures of our lives are the things that are dearest to us. And we may have treasure in our hand, but I pray to God we never have treasure in our heart. I pray to God that the material things we have, we hold loosely. If we lose them, it won't make us backslide. If we lose our financial stability, it won't cause us to hate God and his calling and, and his kingdom. I hope we can learn that, that we're just in America. We have this difficulty because of the riches that we live among. And there is this thing in America. They say engineers design things 
that will break, so you'll have to buy another one. It's this consumerism. It's give me more, more clothes, a new car, better this, better that. And if we're not careful, it can bleed into the church. It can enter our lives. And in the ministry, there's no place for materialism. You may never have that problem. You may never have enough to worry about. But I want us to always understand that God doesn't look at material success as godly success. When we see others prosper and others prosper in the kingdom, it can be hurtful if we're struggling, and it can hurt. And I don't want to get into this, and I don't want to cross any doctrine you've been taught in. Just beware of the doctrine of prosperity, because I don't see it. I don't see it in the Bible. I don't see it in my family. Don't tell me that God loves Americans more than he loves Haitians or the saints in Afghanistan who are under persecution. And finally, Acts 20, 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And I think I want to talk about two things here. The first one is our ungodly culture and government. We need to fasten our seatbelts. I do not believe our toxic culture is going to get better or kinder or more Christ-like. And if we long to be cool, to fit in, to not make waves, we need to examine ourselves. Because we have been blessed in America to have wonderful, astounding religious liberties. But I fear those liberties may be restricted or even stop in some cases. And then what will we do if our life has been spent trying to make sure everybody likes us and we don't want to say anything that's controversial or that will upset anybody or you know what I'm talking about? And in our state, churches were shut down while liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries, and abortion clinics remained open because churches were considered non-essential. Thank God that went to the Supreme Court and that was shot down. Can we all thank the Lord for that? But this is just the beginning and America is changing. And the government in many places are looking for ways to close down churches. And in California especially, our churches are sitting on very valuable property which cannot be taxed because they're churches. And those governments, those city governments, county governments are just dying to get their whole their hands on the money of the value of that property. And I don't, I'm not saying that this will happen, but I'm saying if it does happen, I hope our feet are so firmly planted in the doctrine of love of God that no matter what our government may try to do, how they may try to stop us, I want to feel and know that we will hold on, hallelujah, to the treasures that have been given to us and placed in our hands.
And the second one may be a little controversial, and I'm, I want to say my words carefully, but the second great danger I see to our young people coming along is that people are losing a love for the truth, the doctrine, and standards. And this seems a more insidious underground danger. We can clearly see the wickedness and evil that's going on in our government and in our world. And this movement doesn't ask us to forsake all godliness, but just make adjustments. And these are often people we love, we respect, we're related to or served with in the ministry. This is difficult and heartbreaking. And my personal decision has been not to pass judgment on them, but I intend, if God will give me grace and keep me in my right mind, I intend to hold my convictions regardless of whoever in my life changes theirs. If God will be merciful and help me, I will never cut my hair. I will never change the doctrine except there is just one God and his name is Jesus. And we have to be baptized in his name to be saved. We have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We have to live a holy. We have to live holy, separate lives unto the Lord. Reading again, Acts 20, 24, and none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. It's clear from Paul's teaching he dealt with many emotions. He speaks of longing, wishing for the comfort of the saints, tears, weakness, fear, trembling. He is facing death and pouring into the people of God everything God has imparted into him. But he is not moved. He's facing death and martyrdom, but he is will not moved. He was hurt. He was disappointed. But where he stood before God, the things we see may break our hearts. They may anger us. They may upset us. But by the grace of God, they will not move me. I'm going to hold on to what I am. I'm going to hold on to this. I plan to stand on the solid rock no matter the culture, the hate, the threats hurled against the church by our current culture, by the grace of God, I will not be moved. And as Paul said when he was in peril in the shipwreck, for there stood be by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. You will never stand alone.
Come on, why don't we just stand to our feet and lift our hands. There's been a charge that's been given in the Holy Ghost. His musicians are coming. How many could just say right now in your heart and your spirit, I'm not backing down. I'm not giving up. Come on, we've been given a torch to bear. We are carrying this gospel. We need apostolic ministry. We need young men and women that are in this for the right reason. Come on, if you feel compelled by the Holy Ghost, if you feel compelled by the Holy Ghost to make a commitment to God that I'll take this ministry you've called me to, I'll, I'll take this calling and I'll carry this cross to the end. How many could say this? I'll serve with my joy. I'll, I'll pass something on to the generation that stands behind me. Come on, IBC. Let's respond to the Spirit of the Lord today. Come on, IBC, let's let God hear the cry of our heart. Somebody reach out and let the Spirit of God move through you. Come on, let God give you dreams. Let God give you a passion and a calling that's solid and sure. The foundation is upon the rock in which we stand. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, yes, God. Yes, God. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. Oh, let your spirit. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. trying to figure out your future. You're trying to see where you're going to end up, what church you're going to pastor, what ministry status you're going to achieve. And what God is asking right now is where is your heart? What is the foundation that you put your feet upon? Oh, there's a gospel that has to be preached. There's a world that must be reached. What we need is men and women that will stand on the foundation. 